Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Life is all about those pivotal moments, those big life changes when we ask ourselves, why didn't somebody tell me this? I'm TV host and journalist, Abby Huntsman. My best pal, comedy writer, and media producer, Lauren Leeds, and I are going to bring you conversations with some of the most impactful people of our time to learn their life lessons. We'll pull back the curtain on their biggest transitions, how their reality is probably far less perfect than it might appear. And of course, what they wish somebody had told them back when. Check out I Wish Somebody Told Me anywhere you listen to podcasts. We release new episodes every week. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin. And one thing that we hear a lot about is how hard it is to be a boss and how much people don't like their bosses. And while there are a ton of leadership books and experts on this topic, I find the best teachers are the people who have been in the boss's shoes before and had to navigate through it. Enter today's guest, Melissa Nightingale now the co-founder of Raw Signal Group and co-author with Jonathan Nightingale on a new book called Unmanageable, Leadership Lessons from an Impossible Year. Melissa isn't one of those fluffy leadership experts. She really freaking gets it. And you'll agree as you listen to this interview and her incredible advice on how we can build better bosses today and in the future. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. It might be a new year, but one thing that is not new is bad bosses at work. Enter Melissa Nightingale, co-founder of Raw Signal Group, a best-selling author with Unmanageable being her most recent, and an expert on management and leadership. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lauren. So tell us a little bit how you started to become a leadership and management expert and how this experience influences the overarching way you think about management. So in terms of sort of how I got into management and leadership, it came from sort of my own personal experiences as I was coming up in the workforce. Like I come from 20-year career in technology and in startups. And in part, I think a lot of what drew me to management and leadership was my own experiences with really bad bosses along the way. Not universally, not every boss I had was a terrible boss, but I certainly had experiences where... Uh, I knew that I was going to work and wanting to do a good job. And I knew that I was going in sort of with, with sort of pure heart and pure intentions in terms of doing good work and sort of achieving things within that organization. And I knew that it, it didn't always feel like my boss was working in service of that or that we were aligned on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, a lot of this work has been sort of that reflection in not only my own experiences of 
what it was like to sort of walk into an organization and feel like you're you're there to do great work. Like, why is the surrounding context making that difficult? Yeah. <laughs> um, but also in my own experience of stepping into management and feeling like, okay, well, well, I actually have some sense of what I won't do because I, I have sort of had had all these bad bosses and was like, okay, well, I know I'm not going to do that. I know I'm not going to scream at anybody, right? Like, I know that's not going to be my path. But then, you know, from that place made a whole host of other mistakes. And I think the the time spent reflecting on this is hard work. It is most people yeah. sort of step into this work and don't get any training. And why do we keep sort of putting people into this situation in the same way and not changing anything about how we do this? Yeah. And also it's the reward, right? It's like, if you want to get paid more, if you want more responsibility, if you want the cooler projects or be in the room with the, you know, the change makers become management. So it's also this thing we're kind of taught to aspire to. I feel like as I get further in my career, some people will be like, you know, the really smart people are high up in their career, but they're independent contractors, aka they don't have to manage people. Oh. Because what people learn is that managing people is really, really hard. <laughs> but I think the the piece that I would offer to those folks who say, you know, I'm a very, very senior individual contributor. I'm a very, very senior contractor operating outside the organization. It should be the case that if you are effective at management, if you are effective at leading and running a team, the impact of the work of those people collectively should be more than any individual contributor can do. Yeah. That it often isn't is a problem, right? That's the yeah. problem that we're trying to solve. But I think for, for most folks, you can sort of look at it on the face of it and say like eight people's sort of contri- like contributions should vastly outpace the contributions of one individual. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like give us the the actual maybe picture of how much of an impact can a bad boss have at a company? I mean, there is a, a saying like people don't leave, you know, bad companies, they leave bad bosses. So I, I'm, I'm thinking this is probably coming from a pretty genuine place that bad bosses have this big impact. Yeah, I mean, people say like that basically the the lifetime impact of your relationship with your management is more profound than the lifetime impact of your relationship with your family doctor. Oh my gosh. I mean, and that kind of makes sense. That, yeah. It makes so much sense because we spend we spend more time at work than we do with our families. We spend more time at work than we do in our cars. Like we spend more time. I mean, this is in a North American context, but we spend a lot of time yeah. at work. And if we're spending that time in a toxic situation or a really sort of negative situation, then we're sort of steeped in a really bad spot. Yes, absolutely. And is are there any is there any like data or stats you have about a uh, you know the impact of bad bosses? Like fifty percent of people leave their jobs because of the bad boss. I mean, how I just want to make sure we're getting the context of how serious this is because I think that sometimes people recognize maybe they're not the best boss, but they're like, well, whatever. It's you know everyone has a bad boss. <laughs> I hope that they're not like whatever everyone has a bad boss, right? Like we sort of say it to leaders, which is that like we have to assume that your people are showing up and wanting to do a good job at work, but then we have to extend that grace to bosses too. Right? Yes. I, I know that they are not very sympathetic as a category. That often they're sort of the punchline of like yes, totally somebody's like misformed sort of Thanksgiving joke across the table. Like I get it, but if we if we sort of assume that those folks are also trying to do a good job, then you know we should fire the people who are actively trying to do a bad job. Right? Mm-hmm. If someone's showing up in your organization, both from an individual contributor level and from a boss level, if they're showing up and actively doing harm, like fire those people, right? You don't, you don't want them. But if they are trying to do a good job and failing to do a good job, well, one of the things is, is maybe it's a skills gap, right? And for so many bosses, 
it really sort of is the fact that, that we've gotten no training at all. Yes. But in terms of your question of like, how do you quantify it? When we're talking to leaders, one of the things that we, we tell them is like, basically, if you, through the course of your management, lose someone on your team that you didn't intend to lose, right? We talk about like planned turnover and unplanned turnover. Mm-hmm. If you turn over somebody that you did not intend to turn over, you have to do a quick calculation in your head of 1.5 times that person's annual salary. And the, the, the sort of costs vary. It's sometimes as high as two times annual salary for very senior positions. Um, but if you're sort of just trying to quickly quantify like back of napkin math, how much does it cost if I turn somebody over because I, I wasn't paying attention in their last one-on-one or I failed to have one-on-ones with them and they got another job offer and they quickly took that phone call and left the organization. In terms of sort of how to think about it, it's not only that you lose that person, you lose the institutional knowledge, you yeah. lose the organizational momentum that that person had. And when they're out the door, often that person has found another opportunity and it doesn't end there. Sometimes that person's leaving is what causes other folks to pick up their heads and say, am I happy here? Is this working for me? Yeah. Oh, and that I think is what we're does. seeing in spades right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a domino effect. It's like, if, well, that person is jumping ship like I don't want to be the last person here or maybe I should be considering it. So yeah, it's like it, it causes a huge, I don't want to, I don't know if distractions the right word, but it d- definitely causes like a huge pause in a lot of other people, which is not what you want. Um, and Lauren, like I know you've got a, a tech background too, but when we're talking about sort of highly technical skill, like highly technical skills and highly technical teams, often what happens is that one person will leave and then go to another organization. And And when you leave, right, you leave a fast-growing organization and you go to a fast-growing organization, one of your first mandates in that fast-growing organization is to build out your team. Yep. Oh, totally. I've seen that happen so many times that it's almost like you can predict. You're like, okay, they're going to take that person, that person. I mean, the joke used to be when I worked at this one company, there were a lot of people leaving. The joke was that they must have been hosting a job fair in the middle of our kitchen, you know, because so many people were going to that company. Yeah. So, um, okay. I want to talk about your book, which is called Unmanageable. And you discuss how management is a learnable skill, but that you aren't actually doing management well, or you can't be without two other things. So number one is you need to develop an awareness of and do some reflecting on your power in the organization and how you use it. And then number two You need to build systems of accountability for yourself and your peers and management, which I love both of these, but can you explain these a bit more and what they look like in the quote unquote training sense? Yeah, this is something that that Jonathan, my co-founder and I really spend a bunch of time on with teams is that that often we'll get organizations coming into programs with us and say like, "We're, we're misaligned, right? We've got sort of parts of the organization doing one thing and then parts of the organization doing something else. Um, And they, they often treat that as a fact of the universe. That is like, okay, well, we're, we're just, we got big and it's hard and our organization grew. And now one part of the organization isn't talking to the other parts of the organization, but parts of organizations don't talk to each other. Humans do, mm-hmm. right? And if you really distill it and you're like, okay, but you are the lead of the product team over there and you are the lead of the engineering team over there. And so it's not that like, you know, you're, you're sort of the, you're smashing up parts of the org chart when you fundamentally distill it to you are individuals and you are fundamentally responsible for the success or failure of the organization. And we've given you a management title because we need you to take custody, not only for the output of your own team, but how the output of your team and the work that they're doing connects to the work of the other parts of the organization, that that intersection is a thing where most bosses do not get they they basically sort of get no training on that mm-hmm. we promote you because you're really good in the thing exactly. that you're doing. So you're like, you're very good at the, the individual contribution work. We're going to put you in charge of, charge of a team. 
that does that individual contribution. And then be surprised that all of your focus and effort and energy is on the team doing the work that you used to do. When in fact, at the moment of promotion, if we said, we need you to not only help those folks be amazing at that individual contribution, but we need you to start to pick your head up and spend time with other parts of the organization and understand how the pieces connect. I think literally, even with that, just that that sentence and that framing, leaders yeah. would do so much better in their first year of management. Yeah, it almost feels like you're giving them permission to like step away from the day-to-day responsibilities of maybe the work they were doing and instead focus on something else and more of the big picture. And I think that's the really hard part is that a lot of bosses are really good at their job and that's why they get promoted. And so then they feel like, well, now I basically have two jobs for the price of one in a way where it's like, I still have to do day-to-day stuff, but I also am in charge of the performance of this team. And so I, I think it leaves very little space for them to even consider, you know, the trying to understand the organization, how this part fits into the rest of it. There's also the common misconception that my legitimacy as a leader of the team comes from my superiority of skill or craft, right? Mm. That the only way I get to be the boss of that team is if I'm the best at what they're doing. And the only way I can stay competitively the like capital B best is basically to brush up on my skills at night and manage the team during the day and sort of keep trying to, to do the 24 by 7 version of the job. And many folks find that the, the first kick at management is this very humbling experience where the starting point is like, I can do this. I feel, you know, I feel really like well qualified to do this. I, I can sort of look around and say, okay, within my peers, I have a superior skill set. But then the, the moment of promotion is this disorienting sort of moment because you, you suddenly don't have the time de- to be able to dedicate to the craft, to continuing to maintain that superior skill set. And in fact, in that moment, we suddenly expect an entirely different skill set from you. But, but again, very rarely do we say that out loud. Mm-hmm. You created content and now it's time to post it to your website and share it to Instagram and send to your contacts. But if posting your creation everywhere includes reformatting, resizing, redownloading, and re-uploading, you need Issue. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content, from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your creative in an easy-to-view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. What used to take hours will only take you minutes. Plus, with Issue, you can keep using the tools you already love. Issue works seamlessly with tools like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign, so your workflow will be optimized and not interrupted. Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. And the best part? You can start using Issue for free. They also offer premium features that give more customized experience. Get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code Contessa. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast. And use the promo code Contessa at checkout for your free account or for 50% off your premium account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast with promo code Contessa. So you've mentioned that bad bosses are 
afraid and probably more importantly, unskilled. And that the trick to getting bosses to change how they approach management is to give them a robust toolkit. So let's talk about that toolkit because I, I, I agree with you. I think one, bosses get a bad rep and it's like, hey, they're humans too. They're trying. And I know that they're like the butt of all the jokes, but like it's really, really hard. And I'm, I think every manager would tell you it's hard and I wish somebody would give me this quote unquote toolkit or manual that would help me figure it out. So, so what is that? I mean, I think philosophically, this is a place where Ross Signal Group differs from a lot of folks doing this work. Like organizationally, we believe that if you give folks skills, you start to develop comfort in the idea that I might approach my work differently. And many organizations who do leadership development do a what I would describe as like a, a sort of a tear down and shame approach, mm. which is like, we're going to put you through either a 360 with all of your peers or some sort of analysis or some sort of sort of psychometric. And you're going to go through that. And from that place of being sort of like torn all the way down, we will rebuild. And my sense is that most folks in a management role today know that they need more skills than they've got. Like if you ask them in a one question survey, would you like more tools that work better when you're managing your team? I think like 100% of bosses would be like, yes, yeah, yes. That would be really helpful right now. If you have a place where I can go buy that at the store, I would go buy it. Yeah, totally. I think the... (laughs) The starting point of a lot of organizations is to say like, no, in order to get you to change, like we need you to be ripe for transformation. We're going to get you ready for transformation by by basically laying bare all of the ways that your current approach is failing. And like, that's really embarrassing and yeah. very tender for a lot of folks. And, and it can be a really powerful jumping off point. But I think philosophically, we've said, look, like if we're if we're going to start with sort of our core belief that bosses are trying to do a good job, then in the moments where they're failing to do a good job, like there, there's an opportunity to say, look, like let's get you more of the tools that you need. And it's not sort of absent of personal reflection or introspection. It's just that personal respe- reflection and introspection are much easier to come later in the process. Because if you've given me tools that I can use, then from there, I have a little bit more mental space to do any of that reflection, right? If I'm still like, second shifting, if I'm still sort of signing on during the day and doing my job and then doing my job at night. So like you should go on a journey in terms of your own leadership style. Like at that moment, I'm like, really? Like on top of what time? Yeah. Like I have no time to think. And I think for for a lot of bosses, this like, let's get some core skills in place. And then from the place where we've got some, some more of it working and some more of it scaling a little bit better, then we can have a conversation around how are you showing up in this job and is it what your team or your organization needs? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the core skills of a quote unquote good boss. Wh- what do those include? I, I'm going to assume you know some empathy, <laughs> some decent communication skills. What what are what are these like quote unquote core skills? Fundamentally, there's one. There's one that I point to basically that that sort of outstrips all of the rest, which is like, do you believe in a growth mindset? Because at the core of it, all of this is skills, right? Like all of these are skills that, that are entirely learnable. And I think so much of how we promote people into management and promote people into leadership roles is essentialist. It's, well, you're a natural born leader. And often when we say you're a natural born leader, it means that like if I do a Google image search for CEOs, you look <laughs> like the photos that come up. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good way to promote people into management. Like that has some downsides and it doesn't actually predict good outcomes to say, well, you're, you photo match what I expect right. a leader to look like. Where I think leaders do really phenomenal work is to say like, this is a set of skills. And if I've got a gap, I know how to go find and, and sort of go find resources and go fill that gap or go get trained or go get skills or go develop. I think the the idea for a lot of folks where they get stuck is you either have it or you don't. And in my experience, that's 
is not true. Mm-hmm. So people normally say, well, either you have this quote unquote growth mindset or you don't. And what you're saying is like, no, that's not true. People can develop a growth mindset. People can develop a growth mindset, but more so, I think we we say you either have it or you don't around management and leadership. And we use it as an excuse to keep a lot of people out of management who would otherwise be very good and very skilled and aren't today represented in those roles. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. I actually ha- remember when I was working at a company, we got a new manager and he did all the right stuff in the sense of like spent his first, you know, I think it was like 60 or 90 days, like talking to all of us, interviewing us, getting to know us one-on-one. What do we do? You know, just trying to understand like who are the players and what does this company Mm -hmm. do? What do you guys... And then I do remember we, in a team meeting, all like we were asked to like, basically rate him and talk about his skills and his strengths. And and then he came in and it was like, it was so embarrassing. And I felt like he was being berated. And it's like, he was actually one of the best managers there because he was trying. He was so open to like learning and developing. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it, this person's brand new and they're human. They're going to have some mi- missteps and maybe do it differently than the person before that. But to your point, it's like, that was the culture. It was like, let's tear you down and embarrass you and tell you all the things that you're doing wrong. And then leave it to you to say, okay, now you have to figure out how to fix it. And had that person, I guess, been any other type of personality, they might have just been like, well, I'm going to just start enforcing my power over everybody. And and that'll be that because I'm the boss and you guys aren't. But instead, that person was like, I'm going to go and develop the skill and, you know, do more, to your point, more just very growth mindset oriented. And I think Mm -hmm. it served that person well because I've noticed like in their career, they've gone on and managed a bunch of other teams. And I, I think that's really rare and unique for a person to... I guess, look at management like that. Like you're not supposed to know how to do this. You're supposed to be constantly trying to figure it out and learn skills and ask questions. Do you think there's something to that? Like not like that. Maybe if we just told managers right away, like we're promoting you and we know you maybe don't know how to do this. And that's the, that's the whole point or that's okay. Do you think that would just help? I think this is a thing that we're seeing shift in mass right now, at least in tech organizations, right? At least in startup, we're seeing more folks at the moment of promotion negotiate in that they need skills development as part of that promotion. And I feel like the folks who are getting promoted today are so much smarter yeah. than I was at that at that time. Like at the time of my promotion, when I stepped into people management, I wish I had said, this is a different role and I need some training yeah. in order to be good at it. But I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't know to say that. But I also just like it didn't occur to me that that was a thing that you could say to an employer Same. and have them and have them step into. And I think now it's really different. I think there there are sort of many cultural aspects and elements in terms of the workforce that are shifting in terms of you know employees doing a better job of recognizing the power that they have in you know discrete negotiations along the way, not just the one when they come into the the opportunity or into the job in part because I think there there's just so much more information out there. But I think that that is a thing for sure that I have seen shift and I am so heartened to see that shift. Mm-hmm. I, I am too. And I totally agree. It's like you know when you take on a different role, r- remind yourself that you can negotiate just like people always think, you know, when we think of negotiation, I think we immediately think of salary, but you can negotiate mm-hmm. for things like leadership training. I'm curious, besides, obviously there's your group that does leadership training. What are some other, you know, for a company that's maybe has like a much smaller budget or um, someone who's just like, I, I'm going to, I want to do some ongoing development. What are some of your favorite resources for leadership training? 
Oh, I love that. Um, we, for a long time, I'd say when we were still able to host in person, our team hosted mental health first aid uh, in our space in Toronto. But if you have listeners who are listening from New York, New York City actually has a wonderful program where they teach mental health first aid to organizations and it's free for... like If you have no budget, it's free for your organization. All you have to do is fill out a form on the website. And, and I guess in the before times, they would come to your office. I don't know whether they're doing it virtually now. But in terms of sort of the types of things where bosses are often caught flat-footed because they are underprepared and ill-equipped, particularly in the last two years, we have asked bosses to step into a number of scenarios yes. where they have not previously been asked to, to sort of step forward. And again, like that is a place where not because going through mental health first aid will make you a therapist. It will not. It is not, it is not sort of that type of training, but in terms of sort of the emergency situations, being able to, to sort of have a grounding and an understanding of what you can do to be helpful in a situation and what you can do to make a situation worse uh, means that a lot more bosses are sort of stepping into those situations more confidently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And yeah, the first time you as a boss get an email about something related to mental health, it's really scary. And you, you know, you do pause and you're like, how how do what you know what am i supposed to say what what is the right thing and again none of people have to remember it's just like parenting doesn't come with a manual like being a boss doesn't come with a manual especially being a boss during a pandemic which is to your point what's happened over the last few years yeah and i think it's one where your instincts are likely to be wrong yes and it, it's sort of another situation where where many of the things that you would do in that situation to try and be helpful are actually incredibly harmful and so it is a place where we have seen organizations just sort of pick it up and run with it, where it is not particularly expensive training. It's just incredibly valuable training. Mm-hmm. So that's called mental health first aid. Yep. Okay. And I guess, you know, <laughs> lucky me at Career Condessa, I get to have access to a, um, like one-on-one conversations or a lot of people will DM us or email us about uh, their challenges. And I have to say that the hate for bosses and the number of people who are considering quitting and the toxic workplaces, it's like, I don't know if this year is like particularly high because more people feel like maybe they're starting to recognize this more. But I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are, who are saying, I hate my boss and I'm, and I want to quit. And I'm really afraid of, you know, ending up in this situation again. What advice would you give to someone who is in that situation right now? Toxic workplace, hates their boss, considering quitting. Is there a way for them to, to fix this or find a good boss in the future? Or what, what's some, what are some things they can do to filter through this decision-making process? I love this question because I think a lot of folks really do sort of sit in that spot and sit in that spot for a long time trying to figure out what, if anything, they could do. And and also having real fear and concern that if I switch jobs, am I just ending up in the same, like basically yeah. different organization, same boss type? Um, and so one thing that I would say is that, that any upfront work you can do, and this is going to sound silly, but spending time on what specifically about that boss is making you bananas. Mm-hmm. When like if you if you sort of have to sit there and like and just like fully do all the like rage exploration, some folks are journalers, some folks are not, but like doing the interior work of like what what specific behaviors are the things that are that are really not vibing for you because often for folks when there's a leader that where where you are like diametrically opposed where you're just sort of like like not quite like combative but in a in a frictionful way mm-hmm. in your work. Um, one is a, it is a high likelihood that you will find that personality again somewhere in your work, right? Like it may not be that person exactly, although sometimes it is, right? Like sometimes you work in an industry where it is small 
and and the the likelihood that that person will be a client yeah. in the future <laughs> or will be like your boss's boss next time or like it it happens and so it is worth the time to be able to articulate like if i can hold in my head that this person is not just trying to make me unhappy at work sometimes they are again like if you've got somebody like that like get out but spending time on what specifically isn't working about it and what question could you have asked in an interview process that would have given you an answer that that that, you, that would have indicated that this was the situation you're walking into. Mm-hmm. So if you have a micromanager, if you've got somebody who's like sitting right on top of your head, like questions like where are there opportunities for growth in this role, or where do you see this role sort of stepping into the next sort of spot in terms of accountability or responsibility? If they don't have an answer in the interview process, the answer is they haven't thought about it at all, and you've got a boss who's like very happy to sit on your head for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's really good advice. So as we wrap up, I'm just curious, what are you excited about for the future when it comes to management and bosses and the future of it? I know you mentioned before, you know, people negotiating for leadership training, which I I think that's a fantastic idea. What else are you excited about? I mean, I think we're we're all in this like we have transformation for free over the last two years. Like no one is sort of sitting at the end of 2021 heading into 2022 feeling like you know, gosh, like it's just sort of gotten boring. Like it's all just the same as it was. Yeah, I think that many of us have gotten that upheaval as as like a little bit of a freebie. Um, even though it hasn't felt free, it has felt incredibly hard for a lot of folks. I think many of us are then looking forward and saying, "What do we want it to be?" If it if it if I know it's not this, if I can sort of definitively and declaratively say, like, I don't want to go back to what it was in 2019, or I don't want to go back to what it was in 2020 or in 2021 then then i think the the hopeful part is just the energy around like how do we, what do we want it to be and i think what do we want it to be is such a a core question not only for individual employees right now it's a question we're hearing from bosses it's a question we're hearing from organizations it's a question we're hearing from industries i think we are all just in this very reflective and open to change space because we know that that sort of the Basically, the the past version where you like you show up at an office forty hours a week or fifty hours a week and you sort of go home like that's that's not really where most of us are right now. Yeah, it does feel like I completely agree with everything you're saying, and at the same time, I'm a little afraid because I have sometimes I have this feeling of like I don't want this moment to slip away with with us just going back to quote unquote normal. And I it's like I know it's so hard for people to change. I know it's hard for organizations to change, and I feel like this is also a power dynamic change. And I'm like. Can we do this? Like, can can this actually happen? And um, I mean, I'll be very because I agree with everything you're saying. And at the same time, I'm like, I'm really nervous for the future of work because what if it does go back to totally what it was in 2019? And now we've like we lose this big moment that we have kind of this momentum going with it. Um, so it's like I'm hopeful and I'm also very nervous at the same time. I think that the part that I would I would just layer on or offer up is that we don't need a hundred percent of workforces to make this jump, mm-hmm. right? We don't need a hundred percent of workforces to make this jump. That there is a tipping point, at least in my imagination. I think there is a tipping point at which many organizations sort of start to shift in terms of the way that they relate to their employees, the way that they relate to their sort of place in the world as an employer. And I think if you get enough organizations to shift. Then, then you start to create a, a real market for exceptional organizations, and what a neat thing to to compete on. Yeah, absolutely, and and that that's exactly what will happen is they'll be very competitive, and and other companies will naturally 
hopefully start to take note. (laughs) So I guess just one last question. If someone is listening to this and they're like, my boss needs to listen to this podcast, buy your book. I need to somehow gently nudge them that they need to invest in their leadership training. Any, any nice way of doing that or any tips you've seen people do? Like, do they send the email? Do they sit down with the boss? How do you nicely tell your boss like, Hey, I think you should, you know, focus a little bit more on this topic around how to become a better boss. I think it's hard. Um, and it is sort of one of the, the pieces of feedback that we got commonly from our first book, which was called How Fucked Up Is Your Management? An Uncomfortable <laughs> Conversation Around Modern Leadership. People were like, this is an impossible book to buy for someone else. Yeah. Fair. Fair. <laughs> it's an impossible book to buy for someone else. And it's an impossible book to hand to somebody else without yeah. it seeming very passive aggressive. Yes, exactly. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of conversation happening right now on organizations and the changes happening within organizations. And so one of the things that we've seen a lot of is folks within those organizations pasting links into their Slack. That often there's a management Slack channel. There's often sort of a, an executive sort of meeting or a Slack channel where folks are able to post some resources and just say like, I've been, I've been thinking about this or I've been sort of listening to this and thought it was really interesting. We also have a lot of folks like it's, it's sort of one of the, the weird parts of our work is that we primarily are working with bosses day in, day out. But our newsletter ends up with a lot of folks on it who are very interested in better, like being able to better articulate what's going on in their own workforce and having more language for what tools might we try instead. Mm-hmm. I can't. Um, and so it's not that, necessarily. Yeah. I'm so on it's your newsletter. Not from this like macro version of like, hey, you need to go to management training because you're not very good at being my boss. But I think the the sort of smaller version of like, hey, like I read this and it made me think about this meeting we had last week, and I I'm thinking about like how I showed up in that meeting or yeah. sort of ways that we could have that meeting go better. Um, I think there there's a bunch where a lot of the folks I think think about the power only living within the the sort of titles within the organization that that sort of historically have held that power. But I think employees have a lot of opportunity to, to sort of move organizations by bringing some of the stuff to the forefront and saying like modern organizations are approaching things like this. Like, is this, is this something that we would consider? Yeah. I, I love that. And I, uh, j- just to reiterate, I'm on your newsletter. It's fantastic. Even if you aren't a quote unquote manager in your job title, I would highly recommend everybody join it, join your newsletter. Cause it's just, it, it, it's exactly what you're saying. And the other thing I like is that I think is a nice subtle way is I've noticed people are starting to start book clubs basically among their teams, like the manager and their team and everybody will pick a different book. You could pick this book for your book club or you could see if your department or team would be open to a monthly book club where you know sometimes you read it, sometimes people don't, but you're at least there for the discussion. So I think these are all really, really good tips. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Your book is unmanageable. I'm going to link to the book, your website, which is Raw Signal Group and the newsletter. So everyone can get those in the show notes. Any other places people can follow and stalk your work? Yeah, I tend to be much more Twitter than Insta just as a human. And so if you're on Twitter, I'm at Shappy, S-H-A-P-P-Y. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And thank you so much again. This is this is fantastic. And the work you're doing, please just, just keep doing it. We all want <laughs> want this out there. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review. Your reviews help our show so much. If you want to learn more about Melissa and Jonathan's work, check out their website, book, and sign up for their newsletter via the show notes. Oh, and you can keep up with Melissa on Twitter. 
Lastly, if you're looking for leadership training, check out our online course, The New Manager Manual, that teaches you how to take ownership of your first 90 days and build a leadership foundation to support your ongoing success. It's in the show notes as well. 